All right, you can be seated. Thank you, fellas. I appreciate it. We're going to get right into the word uh, tonight as we got some um, things at the end of service that we're going to engage in as well. So I want to get into the word and uh, collapse time here. So we're going to go to Job 42. Everybody say this with me. Say the power of prayer. I'm going to talk about prayer tonight um, because it's something that has been on my heart for the last few days. It's something that you would be surprised at how many people claim to be in Christ that they do not pray. Um, how many have a strong prayer life? Let me see your hand. How many could get better at it? It's, it's, it's really important to understand that prayer is not venting to God. That prayer is actually, when done right, is really more about aligning ourselves to the will of God. Many times, most of us think we're praying when we're screaming at God or venting at God or doing those type of things. And I believe that God entertains us, so to speak. I believe he allows us the moment through grace to be able to share our heart, how we really feel. Half of the Psalms that David was writing was him venting to God, giving his trouble, casting his cares. Uh, I mean, I, I love David because he was about as real as you can get. David was the type of guy that would pray and say... Bless the Lord, O oh my soul, all that's within me. But then he turned around and said, Lord, break their teeth out of their mouth. That's real. David was this that type of guy that whatever he felt on the inside, it was going to eventually come out of his mouth. We know that what comes out of our mouth originates in our heart first. The Bible says from the abundance of the heart, what? The mouth speaks. It doesn't say what's in the heart, the mouth says. It says the mouth says what is in our heart as an abundance. In other words, what is overflow in your heart, your mouth says. There's things that you can hide in your heart that your mouth is not necessarily going to speak until it gets so filled up to the point to where it's overflowing. And the only way to go is out of your mouth. That's why we guard our heart with diligence. That's why we take care of our heart. Because if we don't guard it with diligence, we're going to let a whole lot of stuff come out of our mouth. That should not be coming out of our mouth. We know that the mouth is not just words. We know that the tongue has what? Life and death in it. The tongue is a powerful weapon. Life and death comes from it. So you've got to be careful what enters into your heart because eventually it's going to come out of your mouth. So we're going to talk about prayer tonight. I want to go to Job 42. And I'm, I'm, I'm coming from a different angle tonight as it relates to prayer. I'm not so much talking about our prayer life as it relates to just us praying to God about ourselves. I want to talk about the power of prayer as it relates to praying for people. Some of us are assigned to pray for people that you've given up on. And I feel in my heart tonight that the Holy Spirit would check us on that tonight. Some of us are so disappointed with people that we quit praying for them. And you're the one somebody God has called to hold them up in prayer. Some of us fail at that responsibility. Do you know that you have assignments just like angels have assignments? That when you are a part of the body of Christ, God actually calls you to intercede for individuals. There's people that God will call that will call you to intercede for them. Your job is to pray for them, not to judge them, not to worry about them. Your job is to go before the Father and keep their name lifted up because your prayers are powerful weapons of breakthrough for people that are trying to live the life God has called them to live. 
Your prayers literally can keep demonic forces off of people's lives. It's a powerful tool. It's not just some random words that you're saying to the Father. We Listen, you got to know that Jesus is making intercession for us right now. That Jesus himself is standing in the middle making intercession for us. And then calls us to do the same one to another. I just googled prayer today just to see how many scriptures in, 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 in the New Testament alone are talking about praying for your brother or your sister. Man, there were so many that came up. I said, my Lord, I can't teach all this. It's just so many prayers in the New Testament that we are being urged to lift each other up in prayer. Paul literally wrote to the Corinth church and was thanking them in his letter while he was in prison saying, thank you for your prayers. Essentially, he's saying, I would not have made it without them. What Paul was going through was a devastating season while he's preaching the gospel, he's being persecuted. And I'm not talking about the persecution that some of us think that we're actually experiencing. I'm not talking about somebody hitting you up on message messenger and, and telling you they didn't like the way you said something. I'm talking about real persecution, rocks and whips and jail cells and, 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 and death threats and, and, and real stuff that was happening. And he still preached the gospel, was stoned to death. And got up after God raised him back to life. Got up and kept doing the very same thing that got him killed the first time. Because he was convinced that the gospel of Jesus Christ was worth laying his life down. And he said, I could not have endured all of that had you not been praying for me. He said, thank you for your prayers. Our job is to pray for one another. To lift one another up. You are assigned to somebody to pray for them. And I want to encourage you tonight to don't give up on that. To know that your prayers are effective. That's why the scripture says the effective prayer of the righteous availeth much. I'm going to talk about this. Everybody go to Job 42. You all with me? All right, Job 42. Let's, let's, let's read here. I'm going to start in verse 1, Pastor Tim. Just go ahead and read down. Now, before he gets in there, we know how many know the story of Job. Guy went through hell, lost it all, family, livestock, money, wealth, everything. Not only that, man, sick in his body to the point to where he was wishing himself uh, dead. I mean, this guy was, was just went through absolute hell on earth, the worst type of hell anybody could go through, and never cursed God. Never cursed God. We know the story. Now watch this. Well, I want, I want to start, uh, we're going to start in verse 1 of verse 42, and then uh, let's read, and I'm going to bring out some, some points here. Then Job answered the Lord and said, I know that you can do all things, and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Who is this that hides counsel without knowledge? Therefore I have declared that which I did not understand, things too wonderful for me which I did not know. Hear now, and I will speak, I will ask you, and you instruct me. I have heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eyes see you. You, you hearing that? Everything Job went through, the end result was God was no longer a rumor. Y'all catch that? He said, I've heard with you, I heard of you with my ears, but now, but now, having gone through what I went through, I've seen you with my own eyes. 
He's no longer a rumor. I've experienced him. It's one thing to be raised in a Christian home and live off grandma's faith and grandpa's faith and mom's faith and daddy's faith and all of those things or pastor's faith or whoever you're surrounded by. Thank you, sir. Whoever you're surrounded by, it's another thing. It's another thing to actually experience God for yourself. I do a lot of counseling um, during the week. And there's some situations that I counsel during the week that um, I have to ask the individuals, do they actually love God? And uh, I ask them that because it's imperative that whatever I'm going to say next to try, whatever we're counseling, maybe I'm trying to save a marriage. And it's important for me to be able to know that they have a direct relationship with God because what I'm getting ready to say to them, only their love of God, only their love for God is going to allow them to actually value what I'm saying. If they've not experienced God, this is going to it's going to sound foreign to them. The reality is if you love God and you want to be pleasing to God, what's going to happen is you're going to stand alert and attentive towards the things that I'm counseling you on because I'm counseling you from the heart of the Father. And it's really important to understand that we have to have a genuine experience with God. It's not enough to just go to church and, 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 and do this because this is what grandma did and grandpa did and mom did and dad did and whoever else got you in the church. We have to experience God. The worst thing that ever happened to Christianity was when the Roman Empire began to dominate the earth and then it divided. And then at, when it was at a civil war with itself, a man by the name of Constantine, a Roman emperor... He, he hooked up with the, the Catholic Church and they said, listen, we'll support you if you will make Christianity the dominating religion of the empire. And so he did and he won the war. And then what took place there is everybody became Christian by default, just similar to Muslims. Most people, all people really that are in Muslims, they haven't had an encounter with Allah. They haven't had an encounter with 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 the heart of that religion they've been indoctrinated because they was born into it they're muslim because of where they was born just like many of us are christians because where we was born had you been born someone else you may not have been raised in this christian um doctrine this christian worldview you may have been raised in a muslim worldview however the point is, the way the early church began to spread so rapidly is people was genuinely experiencing Christ. They was just doing random stuff and the Messiah would appear. Or they would, they would, they would see miracles. So they would, they would in, their hearts would just be just inflamed with this expression that was love. And then they would, it would get contagious and it spread like wildfire. My point is they had genuine conversions. They was following Christ and they knew that if they claimed Christ as the Messiah, they knew that it was going to be a death threat upon their life because the people of that time hated Jesus. That's why he said, if they hated me, they're going to hate you. If the world loves you, you're not living the gospel the right way. One reason why I know, but I have many, but one reason I know why Christ is the true Messiah is when you talk about Christ to people in the world. Most of them get mad. They get angry. They don't do that with Allah. They don't do that with Buddha. They don't do that with India. They get upset. Why? Because there's a spirit of the Antichrist that is in this world right now. You can always tell the genuineness of a thing by the persecution it attracts. 
He's real. Why, why do people not want Christ? Because he's going to demand that you change in your heart. And some of us don't want a heart to change because that hard heart's the only thing that got you through the stuff that you're trying to get through. If you can turn your feelings off, you don't have to feel. You can survive it. What if the goal is death? What if what he wants for you is to let that thing die so that he can birth the new man in you? That's the gospel, y'all. That's why the world rejects it. They don't want to change. They want a gospel that is comfortable for them, not a gospel that changes them. The cross that we preach to others has to crucify us first. Amen, somebody? So there was genuine encounters. Genuine encounters with God. Christianity was never supposed to be. You know, I hear people tell me, I got pastors that call me all the time. I was just on a, a Zoom conference call just last, uh, last night. And uh, pastors tell me all the time, like, they want me to sign petitions and political petitions and get involved. That's why you guys never hear me. You don't know how I vote. You don't know why. But I, I'm never, ever going to preach politics over the pulpit. Uh, everybody has a different view, and that's fine. None of us are right on, on, on everything. And, and the truth is, I just don't think that this is the place for it. But I get all of these preachers that want me to jump on the bandwagon for whatever reason. And, and the truth is, they'll say, well, you know, you're, this, this guy supports abortion. This guy supports this. This guy supports this. And that ain't Bible. So we need the church needs to be 100% behind people that ain't like that. And I'll say, you know, but the problem is you cannot legislate righteousness. That is the problem. You cannot legislate righteousness. I could tell you you're living in sin and we can make it a law against it. That's not going to stop you from doing it. It has to be a personal thing that happens in the side of somebody's heart to where they're obeying the spirit. Righteousness is not obeying the law. It's obeying the spirit. And they don't like to hear that from me. That's why I don't get involved with it because it doesn't make sense. I'm not going to sit out there and march around Detroit for 20 hours. It's too hot just to legislate a law that they're going to break anyway. Come on, somebody. Has to be a personal encounter with the Holy Spirit. Our love for God has to come from a direct encounter with the Holy Spirit. Job said, I heard about you in my ears, but now I've seen you with my own eyes. The, this is the beautiful thing. God introduced himself to Job by trial. So quit looking for a way out of what you're going through. It may be the very thing that takes you out of Christian doctrine and actually brings you into the kingdom. So that you actually know the Christ in Christian. Come on, somebody. Let's finish reading, Pastor Tim. Y'all with me? Therefore, I retract and I repent in dust and ashes. It came about after the Lord had spoken these words to Job, that the Lord said to Eliphaz, the Temanite, My wrath is kindled against you and against your two friends, because you have not spoken of me, I'm sorry, because you have not spoken of me what is right, as my servant Job has. Mm. Now therefore, take for yourselves seven bulls and seven rams, and go to my servant Job and offer up a burnt offering for yourselves, and my servant Job will pray for you, for I will accept him so that I may not do with you according to your folly. So here, here's what happened. Let me just collapse this real quick. 
Job literally is getting ready to get everything back, but he did not get everything back until he prayed for his friends. That was the precursor to getting everything that he lost back. The end of his trial was, listen, if you, this is how you know you went through it the right way. Don't just go through hell. Go through it the right way. This is how you know you're getting it because at the end of it, you're still ready to pray for those who betrayed you. That, this elephant to Timonite, this dude was a, was a joke. This is the worst season of Job's life. And this dude is lying, betraying, telling stuff God never told him to say. I mean, this ain't the dude you want around you in a trial like that. You want somebody you can depend on, somebody that's faithful. But that's not what he had. Job, not only was he losing everything, the friends that were so-called friends was dogging him. And then at the end of it all, Job realizes, man, I've actually heard about you, but now I've seen you with your own, my own eyes. Now that he's experienced God in a new, fresh way, the first thing that he's commanded to do before he gets it all back is learn to pray for those who has mistreated him. Job had an assignment. The end of his trial was to come to the revelation that my job is to still pray for them. And then from that moment on, he got everything back and double what he lost. I want you to put this down if, if, if you're taking notes. Just so you remember that last part there. Job didn't get, uh, Job didn't get anything back until he prayed for his enemies. He did not get nothing back until he prayed for his enemies. That's how you know Job really experienced God because he was willing to pray for those people that was dogging him, kicking him when he was down. That's real relationship. If you know God is a rumor, you ain't never going to find the strength to pray for people that mistreat you. Only people that really know God actually have that type of fervency in prayer come on now let's go to second chronicles 7 14 we're going old covenant here watch this second chronicles 7 14 let's read should be up here and my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray seek my face and turn from their wicked ways and i will heal from heaven will forgive their sin and will heal their land. But say prayer. Watch this. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray. Not just pray, because you can have pride and still pray. Humble themselves and pray. And watch this. This is the, this is the funny thing about the word humility or humble or to be humble if you look at it in its origin it's an old english term it actually is crazy the definition of of the word because it actually i put this down to your taking notes it describes people that ate the leftover so in england they would have these massive feasts and all of the notable houses and all the notable people would go and they'd get the best cuts of the steak. They'd get all the top shelf, everything, and they would eat. And then those who, once they was done filling themselves and eating as long as they wanted and drinking as long as they wanted, when they was done and they left the table, those who, they was a, there was a society of people they called uh, the, it was the hummus or something like that. But that's where the word humble derives from. The humble people would come and then they would get the leftovers. And so they would say these people are humble. It was more of a derogatory term. And they say they was humble because they was getting the leftovers. 
It's funny to me when you think about it in those terms, because I put this down if you're taking notes. Many of us quit praying for people who only gives us leftovers. In other words, when you're assigned to pray for somebody and it it doesn't feel like it's working. Because you're looking at the, the earthly results. Remember I told you a couple weeks ago, Paul said, no, no man after the flesh. Quit looking at them after the flesh. Quit trying to look at their Adam, their fallen state, to determine whether God is hearing your prayers about this individual or not. You don't know what God's allowing them. Maybe your prayer is keeping them in a trial so that they can empty their soul of all the pain, then God can fill it up. There's scriptures that the Bible says, give them over to the enemy so that in the end their soul may be saved. Some people have to go down to that road because their real salvation lies at rock bottom and they're not there yet. I'm telling you. You don't know what your prayer is doing. you got to trust that when you're praying for people, the Holy Spirit is accomplishing his will in their life. And it may not always look like what you want to accomplish in their life. But trust me, when you're praying, the Holy Spirit's doing his job. If you do your job, he will always do his job. People will give you leftovers, man. I'm telling you. I thought the word was crazy because I said, man, if my people will humble themselves and pray and seek my face, turn from their wicked ways... Then I'll hear from heaven, forgive their sin, and heal their earth, their land, their dirt, their pain, their dysfunctions. When we pray for one another, humble yourself. Don't go into prayer thinking that because God has assigned you to pray for them that you're any better than they are. You're no better than they are. There's not one of us that are righteous. We are all equal citizens of the kingdom by the grace of God. But we are praying for these people. We have to pray from a posture of humility. I'm telling you that you're assigned to pray for somebody tonight. I'm also telling you that part of your healing is going to come when you start praying for other people, not just yourself. That's the beauty of the kingdom is that we get life by giving life. Ain't that crazy? We actually get life. That's why some of y'all are empty because everything you get you're using for you. That's why you feel hopeless because I'm telling you, when God gives you something, it's not just for you. He's a giver by his nature. For God so loved the world that he gave His only son. He didn't have anything else to give. He gave it all. And he did it because that's his very nature is to give. When we stop praying for people, we are not operating out of the nature he's given us. You're assigned to people. You're called to people. Don't just live a life to where it's all about you and how things affect you. We have become a selfish nation of Christians. God is saying, wake up, man. Pray for your brother. Are you my, am I my brother's keeper? Yes, you are. That's the answer. Yes, you are. You are your brother's keeper. Some of you say, well, Pastor Guy, I don't know who I'm on assignment to pray for. Ask. The Holy Spirit will give you such a burden for that individual. You'll think about him or her every day. I'll never forget when I first started ministry, I, I came from Battle Creek and I, I got a, a, a call from Bishop Scott Tysick. Maybe I'll have him come preach someday. He's a good guy. 
And he calls me and says, man, I need a worship leader. And I'm 16, man, got kicked out of school. I'm a troubled kid, but I could play the piano and sing. And I said, well, what's it pay? He said, $50 a week, and I got a place for you to live. I'm like, ain't no other 16-year-old have a place to live by himself. Like, I'm doing something, man. I get there. It was in the basement of a church in a love closet. And uh, no shower, no nothing. I had to literally bathe in the baptismal. It was nasty, y'all. But my sins was forgiven. I was clean by the Spirit. I was zestfully clean and spiritfully clean. It didn't even feel right doing it, being honest. I was, I was all reverent when I was going in there dipping myself like this. But I, I lived there, and I lived there for two years, and my brother moved in. That's what's real crazy. I can't believe my brother moved in, man. This is not that situation. A love closet, let me define, a love, so, <laughs> a, a love closet is where the church would, would put, like, it was like a Goodwill. They would put, it was just a room where they'd put clothes that they would give away to people with less fortunate. So, and, so I had a little bed in there, that's, that's all I had. And so, but I'll never forget, I had $50 a week that was coming in, I couldn't save no, no type of money any, anyway. And so I'd blow that money. I'd go to Boston Market and go to Aeropostale and get me a little shirt or something like that. I'd be broke for the whole week, right? And, and, and I'll never forget a lot of those weeks. Um, I'll never forget Sister Harriet. She's, a, she's gone to be with the Lord now. But when Back then she was probably in her late 80s, widowed, and she had a speech impediment. And so I was young, young punk, and she would always try to talk with the speech and I would make fun of her talking and stuff like that and I was I was just really 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 immature and uh, I'll never forget one day I was going there was a there was a kitchen in the ba- basement and they had a little cupboard in the basement and I would always go to this little cupboard and there would always be some what is that, Demi, Demi Moore soup, or what was that, stew, stew, there was always stew in there, which I liked, because I didn't know how to cook at that point, and, and then there was always Reese's Cups and Pepsis, and I didn't know who I was robbing, but I was eating good, I didn't know who put that there, but I was eating good, and then one morning, I get up a little earlier than usual, and I walk in the kitchen, because the bathroom was by the kitchen. I just kind of look, and I've seen her put that in there. She was filling it back up. And I said, I said, Miss Harriet, well, is that, that stuff yours? She said, no, 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 honey. I, I, I do this for you. And I said, oh, my God. Like, it, it started to kill me. Like, I started, she's been doing it for months. Like, months, keeping that thing, you know, full for me. I said, well, how did you know what I liked? She said, oh, I asked God. And y'all, my kids would tell you, what's my favorite candy bar? Reese's Cup. Look, yeah. Shawnee won't, now that I know how to cook, I won't do the soup no more. But um, that's what I like to eat. And she would keep that thing filled up all the time for me. And I would never forget, man, making fun of her. I, I came up one one service because she would come early in the morning she would get in the altar and she'd pray 
And I went there one morning just to kind of walk up and see what she was praying about. I was being nosy. She's praying for me. And I asked her before I left. I said, I said I'm getting ready to leave. I'm, I'm, I took a job in Flint. And she said, okay, baby. She said, I, I, she said I'm going to be praying for you till, till, till I'm not here no more. And I realized from that moment on, this woman was called and assigned to me to pray for me. And I didn't realize how valuable she was then, but I do now. All I'm saying is God has somebody that is assigned to you to pray for you. And just like you are on their heart, God is going to put somebody on your heart. And I'm telling you right now to never, ever lose hope. To always hold that person in prayer and hold them up before God. Because you don't know what that's doing. She didn't live long enough to see how God has made changes in my life. But she didn't have to because she knew that her prayers was effective. Her prayers was effective. One day I'll see her again. But I'm telling you, I am who I am today because of people just like that. My mother, obviously mothers are going to pray for us. But my mom is an inter- My mom will call me weird times with things that God says. Another person, I, I truly, genuinely believe, BJ, Mitch, I believe the reason he's here is because he's assigned to me. I, but I know people in my life that are assigned to me. My wife, obviously, she's my wife. But there's, there's people that God will put in your life that their job is to cover you, to pray, to remind you constantly who you are in the kingdom, to never let you forget who you are, the uniqueness that God has made you. That is their job. And I'm telling you, don't quit praying for them because you're frustrated with them. I put this down. If you're taking notes, I want you to write this down. Never complain about somebody you've quit praying for. Never, listen to me, never complain about somebody that you have abandoned your responsibility to pray for. You may have been the only life they was getting and then you withdrew it. And you wonder why all hell's breaking loose. Y'all with me tonight? James 1, and then I'm done. Just go to James 1 real quick. Watch this. James, a bondservant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes who are dispersed abroad. Greetings. Isn't that funny? Is that right there? The twelve tribes that are scattered abroad. He's saying greetings. So he must have knew where they was. In other words, he's writing a letter to their location. They have to be reading it. So he, they wasn't lost. They were scattered. Well, let's think about that. Go ahead. Let's continue. Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, <laughs> knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And let endurance have its perfect result, so that ye may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. But if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all generously and without reproach, and it will be given to him. But he must ask in faith without any doubting, for the one who doubts is like the surf of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. For the man ought not to expect that he will receive anything from the Lord. 
being a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Here's my reason for reading that, and I'm getting ready to close. Devon, if you can come, I appreciate it. When you're praying for somebody, when your job is to hold that individual up, it's very important that you pray from the right posture. Don't, pay, don't pray from the frustration that you see that the, the things that they're doing in the natural. Don't let that be the posture that you pray from. Pray from the right place. Because this is what James is saying. Any man that doesn't come to me in faith, that believes me, don't, he said, don't, that man will receive nothing from me. That's what James just said. That man should not believe that he's going to receive anything from me. When you go to pray for that hard-headed fool that you're assigned to, start with humility. Start with being humble. Humble yourself before the Lord. Say, Father, help me to see. Help me to see what it is that's driving that individual. Help me to see their brokenness. Help me to see their dysfunction. Help me, give me something that can, that can give them life today. And when you do that, God says that he will give to all men wisdom. He'll give it to you. How many times have we spoken to one another without asking God what to say? I'm, I'm trying to encourage you to find the strength tonight to hold each other up and to bear one another's burdens in love. This is what love does. This is what makes the body of Christ so dangerous when we step into this because we can do anything together. Any change can happen if we are holding one another up through love and through prayer and through accountability that is rooted in grace. You know, the truth is we are quick to judge people because of their actions. But you don't know what it is that drove them to that place. Everybody's got a story. Everybody has a story. I want to tell you that you're assigned to somebody. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to bow your heads tonight. Father, show them who they're assigned to right now. Give them clear vision tonight who they're assigned to. And I'm coming against the spirit of weariness. I come against the spirit of weariness tonight. I'm asking God that we find humility in our approach with the people that we're called to hold up. I'm asking God tonight that you help somebody to not give up hope tonight show them who they're called to show them who they're assigned to God give them the strength to hold each other up tonight help them understand that their words are life 
that we are praying to a heavenly father that hears us and the Holy Spirit by assignment goes and does exactly what you are telling him to do. He serves your purpose, your agenda. Help our prayers, Father, to be in a line with your will for people's lives. Help us to not make our prayer about our concerns, but rather your concerns. Let this word break through the hardest of hearts. Some of us may be offended with the process. Some of us may be frustrated. Some of us may be hopeless. Help this word, God, to cut through all of that tonight and let them leave knowing, Father, that their assignment, that their assignment is from you tonight. And help us to hold one another up. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Did As I was praying that, did anybody get any pictures, any clarity on somebody that God has called you and assigned you to hold them up in prayer do it do it do it do it do it because somebody saw you you saw somebody else but somebody may have just saw you and God said they're your assignment hold them up in prayer don't just pray for them call them do whatever God tells you to do man just walk out the assignment amen amen all right Did you receive that word tonight? Hallelujah.